Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to the very last episode of season 4 of Straight Talking English. You have no idea how glad I am to say those words. When I started this poetry season I was like okay I know this is going to be a big job, I know this is going to be how it is, but six months it's been a slog man. It's not like I don't like these poems but it's been a long one. I am Catherine, your host as ever you can find what I do on straighttalkingenglish.co.uk you can buy my books which is very very exciting they're all on my website you can have a look at my youtube that's got all my context videos up on there you can link that through the website as well follow me on twitter stra talk english and say hi so you may or may not have noticed there's three poems in the relationships cluster that I haven't covered yet and the reason I haven't covered them is because there's not actually that much to it and they didn't really merit their own episode like there wasn't really enough stuff to talk about for each for 20 minutes so I decided much as I did with Armitage to lump them all together first up we're gonna have a little chat about winter swans our lovely swans some of this poem is fictional and some of it is not it's up to us at this point being literary detectives to decide which is which the setting is real it's called skirred hill and it's in gwent in wales all of his poems are set in the welsh countryside but this one is definitely skirred hill he much like wordsworth actually in the uh power and conflict side he has a very specific attachment to a place does our owen shears was wordsworth loved the lake lake district and didn't live there very long in his childhood shears has this connection to wonderful wonderful wales where he moved away when he was three years old in 2018 he said despite those formative years in london the life and culture i associate with the cottage i grew up in always remained home Wales, which we returned to nearly every weekend, offered me an access to otherness, to belonging with to belonging within what felt like a more ancient, visceral world than the streets of Blackheath or Richmond. As I grew older, it was the internal borders of the area, social, linguistic and topographical, that became increasingly informative. Its lattice work of division and meeting between Welsh and English, the housing estate and the rural, the tended field and the wide plateau, the industrialised valleys and the low-lying market communities. My, ho- my comprehensive school was what my mother called a proper comprehensive, meaning that pretty much everyone went there. It was situated beneath a beautiful hill, but also one of the poorest housing estates in the countries. Both filled my classroom windows, the graceful dome of the Derry's deciduous woodland rising above the grey pebble dash, two ups, two downs of Underhill Crescent. It's all about the first person. He says geographical divides of borders, the separation of the dead and the living, the move from childhood to adulthood, the ending of relationships. It's all about us. Such divides are both moments of mark-making and moments of absence. In this collection, it is often the awareness of such separation, past or impending, and the juxtaposition of these diverse states that provides the friction from which the poem was born. All right, all right. So I was hoping to find some kind of, like, mystical link, like I did with Eden Rock talking about the three suns and the omens and the river Styx. There is a Celtic legend called the Children of Lear, 
which was turned into the famous ballet Swan Lake, in which children are separated from their father by being turned into swans for 900 years. They could sing, they could talk, but they were separated by the new form. It's a sad story. The family is never reunited. And that's the only sort of mythological background I could think of. However, if we're talking about the context of Winter Swans as part of Owen Shears's work, we've got to think about where it comes. Winter Swans is the third part of a trilogy detailing and as far as I can tell fictional relationship. The first one is called Show and that is about as far as I can tell hooking up with someone who you meet at fashion week. All right, all right, very, very specific. Fair enough. I mean you go to London Fashion Week, you see someone you like the look of and it's a uh, definitely implied nudity. This couple that are in show have a massive fight in Paris in uh, the second part of the trilogy which is called Valentine. So then, so they've met they've met at a fashion show, they fought in Paris and then they return to Skirid Hill to have their like break up, make up, weekend and then the swans are like maybe, maybe you will, maybe you won't and there's nothing, in one of the revision guides I saw there's an interpretation that it's someone like a stalker or a third person watching them and that does not seem to be accurate based on his obsession with like personal friction and also that it isn't in the other two in the trilogy so I'm gonna say Nope. However, what made me laugh so much and what made me say this poem was fictional is because Owen Shears' wife is a lingerie designer and the location for Winter Swans after he wrote the poem was when they got together. So the lady who is now known as Catherine Shears is from the Black Mountains in Wales. She was looking up on Facebook pictures of Skirid Mountain and she saw this picture. Along in this album, which I'm assuming is like nice things about Wales, is assuming this, this Facebook group, she saw poetry from this rando called Owen Shears, who she had gone to school with. She sent him a Facebook message that said, thank you for a hit of home. That was just what I needed. And that was after the collection that Winter Swans was in had won the Somerset Mourn Award in 2006. They started off like a Facebook friendship and decided they were going to meet up on Skirid Hill on Boxing Day. So in the darkness of winter, they saw each other by torchlight. A couple of years later, they also went for a walk on the Skirid Mountain and they got engaged. Oh, so lovely. So it is totally, totally fictional because the real Skirid Mountain ended up having the significance in Shears's life that is nothing to do with the poem at all and it's very, very cute. So my question about Winter Swans has always been, so skewed means like division or breakup and why would you take someone who you want to be with to a place called Breakup Mountain? I'm like, okay, okay, I feel like there's something a little bit, a little bit uh, subliminal there. 
All right, thinking of things that have been interpreted wrongly. And I really, really wish this one wasn't interpreted wrongly because the truth is somewhat sadder than the fiction. Is climbing my grandfather. All right, all right. A boy climbs his grandfather and learns about him. All right, sweet, done. But there is more to it than that. So Andrew Waterhouse, the only information you can really find online about him is from his obituaries. The guy completed suicide in 2001, aged 42, and he only published one collection of poems. Now, normally, like with Charlotte Mew, her suicide is incidental to the story of her poems, but for climbing my grandfather, it is not. He suffered from depression for many, many years, and he wanted to try and work out where all this had come from because he didn't have uh, an abusive childhood he didn't have any significant trauma but he suffered from this chronic depression so he went back in time metaphorically his brother said in his quest to understand how he had become the person he was he gathered many items from his childhood photographs of himself at various ages certificates metal toys he quizzed our parents about how he had acted at various ages, trying to spot the time or event when something happened that could be recognised as the root source of his discomfort. Latterly, he came to realise there was nothing there, and he broadened his spiritual search. So yet, yeah, he is climbing his grandfather, but in another sense, he's searching through his own history. He's searching through his heritage to try and find this answer. Why is my mind the way it is? Where have my thoughts come from? And it's not like he's actually looking for his grandfather. This could have been an anecdote that someone had told him on this search for clarity, the search for peace. So I'm going to say it's probably not really a poem about look at my granddad, he's wearing these boots. It's about trying to find the roots of your own problems and trying to examine your own life. We've got to think as well about harsh and apocalyptic things. So he's only got this one collection and this is from the review of the entire collection because I've said this enough times. If you look at the review from the work as a whole, or indeed each poem as part of a larger body of work, it's going to have more information about what the writer was going for if we consider each entire collection as a separate thing. So when his one collection came out, the reviews said what gives his apocalyptic narrative episodes their force is partly the inexorable patience with which hope and life are extinguished. A central paradox is that the poems cry out for belief but are unable to sustain it. The world their writer imagines is full of solid objects and hard edges, stones, wood, frozen ground, which offer little purchase to the inhabitants. These may be the familiar problems of modernity, but both the strength and affliction of the work arise from an inability to domesticate solitude and self-doubt through the daily grind. His world, as it were, has nothing ordinary in it. Yet more than most poets, Waterhouse illustrates the contention that even the grimmest poem is a constructive act, a way of framing and bringing order to feeling experience and, in his case, 
a wide range of ideas and learning which enabled him to ignore any presumed fissure between art and science. It's part of this struggle of trying to find something but never finding it. The whole thing has these images of like mountains and harshness in it and you'd think like oh you know like a grandfather figure like okay not my grandfather but like a stereotypical grandfather like you'd be like oh comfort and like you know let me tell you a story while I smoke my pipe and this grandfather offers none of that so this is why I'm arguing that this grandfather is just a construct this grandfather is just an image that represents part of his struggle to find who he is again again i would love to meet whoever set these poems because i feel like just with love's philosophy they may have missed the point a little bit but it's all good we are not going to blame them the last poem which i have not been able to fit anything else in is letters from yorkshire and more Dooley, if you are listening to this, please, please give me a call. SDR8 Talk English on Twitter, straighttalkenglish.co.uk. Send me an email, mate. She was at the University of York for her undergrad. And then she went to the University of Bristol, which I'm told is pronounced Brizzle, for her postgrad. I can relate to this. I did my degree at Warwick, my master's at Warwick, and I did my PGCE at Nottingham which is known as Teletubby Land because apparently the main campus looks like it. However, this is where our lives have diverged more aduly at the time of me researching this, is the reader and creatives writing at Goldsmiths, University of London in Magical Magical New Cross. So she's not actually living that far away from me. I, when I moved house recently, I now live in Docklands. Ooh, fancy, fancy. So, she can't live that too far away from me. Yorkshire is a big deal for her. Uh, similar to Ted Hughes, to be honest, he's all about Yorkshire. And it's reasonable to assume, though I don't have any evidence for this, it makes sense, that we're talking about long-distance friendships, potentially from her time at uni in York, to where she is now or where she's at or when she was at Bristol. Again, we all have people that we love who we do not see every day. Some of my nearest and dearest friends are up in Manchester. My sister lives near Bedford. A lot of my friends are located around like Guildford or Leamington Spa or the Midlands, which is a little bit rubbish. I don't get to see them when you get a little text or you do a little video call because i'm still sort of in lockdown while recording this it's a lot more aduly said i moved from yorkshire where our neighbors were three fields away to a flat in suburban london i hated london for years i missed the green so badly and i was a countryside snob despising the commons that had come to mean a great deal to me more recently i inhabited the city only temporarily in my mind for more than a decade oh come on you've got to give it a chance if you go down to regent's park or bits of richmond park if you kind of squint you can pretend you're in the countryside however one of the beauty beautiful things about modern writers is they tell you where they got their ideas from which is fabulous 
Dooley says, I think that as we get older, the things that we care most about become clearer. So maybe it's inevitable they occupy the poetry, either more blatantly or more secretively. At the same time, there are matters, places and images I deliberately return to. When I write, there are definitely times when it all feels more possible and happens more easily. What is that? Mood? Magic? My family, close and extended, is a big part of my life. I have children, I work. All of this takes time. Would I write more and write more quickly under different circumstances? I don't know. Poetry is of central importance to me, but it isn't everything. Simplicity of expression has always been important to me. I want the poems to be complex, but lucid and fluent to an intelligent reader who is not necessarily usually a reader of poetry. That might be you if you're a year 11 and you're listening. I work harder at that aspect than almost any others. Some poems arrive as a shortish kind of lyric, that little run of dream poems, for example. But that's because they're just moments, glimpses really. I work hard to make them musical. Others are baggy with several different ideas maybe, then it's a matter of endless drafting to knock them into shape. My poems can seem like nostalgia. But actually, I'm just very interested in memory and time. I find it hard to separate the here and now from the past. So I, honest to gosh, since reading that interview, I would put that one with Before You Were Mine, because we both have these speakers examining the past, looking for something, they're each having a moment, whereas Duffy is searching for this fulfillment, this lost self, and Dooley, as opposed to Duffy, is kind of just enjoying this moment it would go nice with sing song it's a happy one the joy of anticipation we've got this hopefulness as well with elizabeth barrett browning as well not what you can't wait to see the person but Dooley is content with that separation it's a nice one isn't it And I'd love to say that every poem has a big old context that I can explore with you, but not all of them do, especially the modern ones. And I I feel very much like an old person today, actually. But um, I feel like I'll be doing you all a disservice if I'm like, kids, let me take you on a magical journey back to the year 2004. Things were very different. Because they weren't really i'm feeling very old because uh, i've been playing i've been trying to play some of the games that my students like uh on my ipad and i find them incredibly tedious and this is the first trend as an adult that i honestly do not get and i'm like oh my god i feel like i am a thousand years old speaking of things which are very old it's this series that is it that is it for season four. I'm backing away from my microphone because I'm having such a celebration. That's it, guys. Book six, the book that goes along with love and relationships half is going to be out potentially in the next week of me recording this. So excited. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for going on this poetic journey via the romantics via the war poets via the sad ones via the happy ones and i still don't like sing song i've never liked it and i think i may never will right let me talk to you about what's coming up next so in order to give myself a break in order to catch up on my research and to somewhat mentally recover 
I'm going to be running an AMA season for the next few weeks. Ask me anything. I have been collecting questions from multiple countries, from multiple topics. So it's going to be a bit of a random one for the next month or so. I'm going to be answering the listener questions. Then, Series 5, when it drops. Series 5, in time for Halloween. Can you guess it? I am going to be doing the gothic yes we are talking about vampires and darkness and degeneration and the fall of society and cholera and being buried alive and detectives and murders and at least one episode devoted to lesbian vampires it is going to be absolutely wonderful there will be a book as well for the gothic it's currently in the stage of having chapter headings and i am researching I'm reading all kinds of exciting books, including the one called The Victorian Celebration of Death, which is why sometimes I need to get a little bit ahead on this bad boy. Aim is for season five to start in September, and I hope you enjoy some of the random questions and you stick with me into the gory and gruesome world of the gothic. Thank you so much for carrying season four with me. I will return next week for the first one of our listener questions. Thank you very much and have a lovely week.